Boy, oh boy, have I got a treat for you guys today. Bert Calder, the old man blue from WA, joins me. The creator of this incredibly robust and and uh, and awesome gear. Bert was kind enough to join me and I had an absolute ball of a chat and I hope you're going to enjoy today's episode as well. But if you're new here for the very first time or if you're a long-time listener, thanks for tuning in. My name is Isaac or Shrek. I'm the host of the Noob Spirit Podcast where I get to interview and chat with some of the world's most interesting sparrows from all over the planet and talk about their spearfishing experience wherever that may be. And just before we get into today's episode, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Lisa Farrier Rafkin, who left me a voice message on noobspero.com at the Noob Nooba story section. Um, if you want to leave me a voice message to include in the show, by all means do so. If you've got a lesson learned, like a scary story where you learn something, if you've got a new tip that you've uh, began applying and it's making a difference in your spearfishing, or even even if you've got a gear review, just want to say hello, go to noobspirit.com up into the Nooba Stories menu and leave me a voice message. It's short and sweet, though. I love it. Um, anyway, here's Lisa, and uh, have a listen to what she had to say. Hi, my name is Lisa Farrier. I am turning 59 years old this year. Started spearfishing about five years ago and um, had some great mentors and uh, managed as a woman in my 50s to set 10 world records. So wanted just to say hello and wanted to inspire people of any age to go out and start it because I am absolutely addicted and hooked. I actually bought a house down in Mexico so I could spear. And uh, I, I think kind of to some of your your last guests, some of our points, it's, it's having mentors and things like that that help you gain entry into it and then um, getting the right gear, et cetera. So anyway, hope this finds you well. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Lisa, for leaving me a message there at noobspirit.com up in the Nooba story section. Much appreciated. Before we get into this episode with Bert Calder, I'm absolutely chomping at the bit to, to, to get in on this episode too. I wanted to tell you quickly about Aqualite. Now, Ben recommended Bert Calder and he did not ask me to promote it, but Ben works for a company called Aqualite that make a fantastic product that's highly, highly actionable <laughs> that's highly useful for Spiros. Um, it is a fluid and electrolyte supplement. And if you're coming home from a full dive day, you're exhausted and it's some of the best night's sleep you'll ever had. But one of the things is your body is lacking in electrolytes and some of the important salts and stuff. Check out Aqualite. It's a WA company. They're making a fantastic product. Uh, ben sent me a care package and I have been giving them to my dive buddies and taking them myself ever since. Check them out at Aqualite. Um, anyway, let's get into this interview with Bert. Ooh, I enjoyed this one. Adreno stock all the equipment noobers need for freediving and spearfishing. The Adreno team will help advise you about equipment, diving, trips, dive locations. They can help you with a whole bunch of your spearfishing issues um, and they cater for spearos and aspiring spearos of all levels of experience. You can visit them in store, Brisbane, Melbourne, Perth and Sydney and they get a new store on the way. Chat to one of their friendly team members. Don't forget to take advantage of the Noob Spiro discount code. You can save $20 on every purchase over 200. That's right. Use the code NoobSpirit to save $20 on every purchase over 200 online at adreno.com.au or in store at one of their mega stores. Today's Noob Spirit podcast is brought to you by Neptonics.com. Neptonics makes solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on. Even when you get all limp biscuit on it, you'll struggle to break stuff. To be honest, man, I, I've really, like, you're the sort of dude that I love to get on the show. Like, um, you know, I can tell that you just froth on spearing, like l reading a little bit about your life and stuff sounds really interesting. And this is exactly the sort of stuff that I like 
the interviews I like doing. So um, I was stoked that Ben told me about you and just um, Ben Tarbox wrote me. Yeah, that. good mate of mine, mate. Very good, mate. And and he's got a brilliant product called Hydrolyte. Yeah. I won't go on about it in the show, but yeah. as any Spiro, I, 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 like I, once I got to go to Fiji and I spearfish a month commercially, with, I lived, I've lived and worked in Fiji for a number of times. And, yep. you know, I, I'm going to go on and on about that. But once I spearfish for a whole month, continues, you don't spearfish on a Sunday because Fijians are pretty religious. Yep. But the other days you spearfish and their days are long and it's hard conditions. And I swear the only reason I got through from it is that hydrolyte stuff that he sells. Oh, it yeah. Yes. It is so good. 100%. I, I hit him up. I said to him, is it when, – when he emailed me, because he emailed me from his company email, I was like, is this the same as what um, – like like the uh, hydrolyte you buy in the pharmacy? And he says, yeah, yeah. He says, oh, you know, we sell up mainly to mine sites and work sites where the guys get – Heavy fatigue and they they can't really hydrate. Doesn't matter how much water you drink, and it and and he sent me a whole box. And I've been um, doing multi day dive trips, and I tell you what, it's the one thing that keeps you going. I think maybe the only other supplement I'd add to it, or maybe two supplements, would be vitamin C and uh, and iron because I think um, proper deep diving is pretty hectic on the old blood work. Yeah, true, true. It is. I've, I've noticed that, especially getting older, you need you need help like. The other day we did 75 dives and 50 of them was in 20-odd metres of water. Yeah, it's a and big that day. night I knew about it. It's, <laughs> I could feel like I'm not young anymore. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's hard. Well, it's awesome, Bert. I would ask you if you had any questions before we get the interview started, but I think we've already started the interview. So welcome to the New Spirit Podcast, Bert. It's awesome to have you with you. Um, I wanted to read out a quick intro just while we're getting started. Um, ben from WA says, he wrote me an email, says, love the podcast, mate. I've only recently picked up the sport again after family work occupied my, all of my time. And so it's great to listen and learn from so many interesting people. I'm still working my way through some of the episodes, but they're fantastic. So thanks. And he said to me, I've, I've come across a very interesting and very experienced diver by the name of Bert Calder. He's a member of the WA Undersea Club. He has become a bit of a mentor for me and many others over here in the West, and he has many interesting stories to tell. It's unbelievable. He said, uh, Bert's a bit of an introverted bloke in terms of promoting how experienced and how bloody good he is, which is why I've taken the initiative to contact you. He says, in addition, he's done some amazing things with equipment design and manufacturing for freedivers under the brand name Old Man Blue. And um, Adreno's just started stopping stocking some of your products and you're planning on bringing out more. Um, the, you're underpinning philosophies, high quality functional gear. And um, you sent me a little bit of a pet care package, Bert. So I just wanted to start the episode by saying thank you. It's fantastic to make your acquaintance and I have been bloody enjoying your gear, mate. Oh, thanks, mate. It's kind. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. I like the T-shirt you got on as well. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really fit me because I'm a bloody I'm a oh, oh, oh. I think you sent me an XL, but I'll, I'm making it work, mate. I'll, I'll I'll print two more for you in a, in, in a larger size. Now that I see the size of you, I've got a better idea. They normally charge me extra because I'm I'm too bloody big, bit. But um, first world problems, eh? Too much hungry jacks. What do you do? Yeah, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, mate, I was down last week, actually. In fact, I was down at Killsby Sinkhole, and while I was in South Australia, I um, got down to an awesome sort of local crayfish spot there, and I got to try out this cray bag you sent me. And I've got to tell you, it's bloody ridgy ditch. I, um, I really liked a couple of the features, like 
Um, the quick release on the bottom with the with the like the spear gun bungee, like that. That's mm-hmm. fantastic for just you know, like at the end of the day, you don't want to pull everything back out through the top of the bag, so you dump the bottom, yeah, no, and you, and all your crays come out on the bottom. And in South Australia, they had a four cray per person limit. Uh, but me and a buddy went out and we we caught three. Um, two of them were well over a kilo. One of them was well over a kilo and a half. So they were decent sized lobster. And um, and your bag did the job for us. It was fantastic. I've got a bit of photography to send you too, by the way. But um, that would be nice. Yeah, but um, shit, it was heavy duty and uh, really well made gear, man. So well done. Thank you, thank you. Now we we try. Um, John and myself has put lots of effort, and the bag has been in the making. I I, I could, in one of those photos I sent you. That's probably about 30-odd years ago with mum. Dad actually got that little bag made for me. And um, so bag started from an inner tube to that, and then it, it revolved the whole full circle back to this. And um, I actually once I stuck my hand inside that estuary cod, and I thought, wow, look at this design. It's just amazing. Anything that goes in doesn't come out. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, we have to put this in this bag. And then John and myself just played around and played around and played around. Yeah, and if only so the bag is based on an estuary cot, so it goes one way and it doesn't come out because how many of us has lost our price catching it? You want to cry when you get to the side. Yeah. So hopefully this will avoid it, and we wanted to make something that's light so you can travel with it, and that you can really belt the living life out of it and still yeah. laughs rather than all these throwaway society where people just buy and buy and buy, and it's just not yeah. very high quality. I was going to say like. Based on the gear you sent me, you've got a terrible business model because you buy your stuff and then you're never going to rebuy it again because it'll bloody last forever. So well done on creating some proper robust stuff for Spiros. It's a buy once and done kind of thing, I think. Uh, um, If it doesn't have a lifetime warranty, I would think to myself, it's probably going to last that long anyway. But, um, you know, it's really cool. And I love geeking out with, um, you know, spearfishing gear manufacturers that really take a lot of time and attention to detail developing this stuff. And you can tell, you know, your development cycle is evident. And for US um, listeners and and others further afield, like an estuary cod is, is, you know, we have, you have groper species all the way around the world. And if you've looked into their mouths, you know what Bert's talking about in terms of it's a one, it's a one-way ticket if you're going in there. And it's a yeah. prick to pull your arm out if, for whatever reason, you get your hand stuck in a grip. In a exactly. Grip. So I like it. I like it. Very good. And it works. I mean, I think always, you know, the design is there. And as humans, we can learn so much from our environment. You know, they're much cleverer than us. You know, just copy and paste it. <laughs> and that's exactly what we did. Yeah, it's good. It's a, it's a good thing. Like innovators um, are often sort of credited with um, inventing, you know, new ideas and ways of doing things. But modelling things from the natural environment sounds like a very sort of uh, studious and wise way to go about product design. I like it. Ben introduced us and we, you and I were just geeking out on this fact. Um, ben works for a company called Aqualite and you and I were just riffing on the fact that when you're doing multi-day dive trips, this stuff is just the bee's knees. Um, tell me about your experience using it. Mate, um, I used Aqualite long before I knew Ben and Ben is a really good mate and a really good diver as well. And um, we were... This is myself. I dived with a fellow called Solo, and he's a commercial diver in Fiji. And I got the opportunity to spend a month diving with him every day. Because they're religious, they don't dive Sundays. And it was amazing to go out in a longboat, rudimentary, rough oceans, calm oceans, the whole lot. And to be honest with you, these guys, 
are bred for it. There's just so much tougher than us. Mm. And the only way I got through a month diving with these hardcore guys was with Ben's Aqualite. So <laughs> we are soon hopefully selling it on Old Man Blue's site as well. And I swear by it. It's yeah. Without that, you cannot dive day in and day out, especially in hot tropical waters. There is no way you could do it. I don't believe you could. Even down in South Australia, like I was doing this um, freediving course, freedive retreat with um, Eckhart Benkenstein and uh, and bloody Adam Sellers from Pressure Project. And we, I, got, I jumped on the second course. So there was one freediving retreat over the weekend. It ran from Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then I jumped in with my mate and another small group of people on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So the instructors had done sustained deep diving for six days. And it's not quite the same as spearfishing but it kind of is for the instructors because they're doing and safetying all the dives that everyone else is doing. So they are doing sustained deep drops and, and some longer dives too. And, you know, some of these dives are down past 30 metres. Um, and so, you know, these guys work their, work their asses off and they didn't have any of this stuff. And I kind of felt sorry for them. Like, this is the ticket. If you want to do three, three plus days diving, you, your muscles just start oh, – my, my muscles will start cramping at the end of one dive day, let alone two. So um, it does keep you going. And and the other thing, um, Bert, I mentioned earlier was I, I think um, some vitamin C supplementation and iron supplementation would help as well. What do you, what do you think on that? Mate, I, I think anything that can help you mm. dive a day in and day out safely and it doesn't harm your body, yes, I think it's all good. I mean, I'm no doctor or anything, but I use Acrylide because, to be honest with me, my knowledge on all vitamins and everything is very small. So... I, I just – I use Aqualite and I drink a lot of it and then on the boat itself we have a muesli bar or – because to be honest with you, I can't eat a lot when I dive. I feel like as soon as I have a stomach full of food, I just can't dive anymore. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I don't eat in the mornings and people say, you, you, you know, like in a fasted state, you maybe you click over into ketosis and, and all these sort of big sort of scientific ideas. What's your eating regimen on a standard dive day? Mate, I, I'm very old school, and the guys that know me, we're probably listening to us, hopefully, and they're going to laugh, and it goes, Bird, I'm not that diver that you see in the sun breaks, and they're out, and they're all gung-ho, and they just they are just like a machine. I'm the opposite, mate. Let's all sit down, and we're neither like a nice breakfast, bacon going, roll, <laughs> oranges, baked beans. If it is the French and the Italian baked beans, it's obviously sinful when you have to buy bear brand. <laughs> and we're all down and we have a big feast, you know, and like eat up and then, hey, it's about 8 o'clock now. Let's go out. Yeah. But then we come back at 8 o'clock at night. So it's I'm, I'm slow going. I'm a bit like um, a bull, you know. I just wander through the paddock. I'm not in a rush. The old bull, the old bull talking to the Yeah, old. pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I love to just enjoy it, mate. It's, just, it's, 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 it's my days of being... A cowboy and hardcore is over. Yeah, how old are you? But mate, I, I'm 52 years old, and um, I, I feel privileged. It's I was thinking, uh, to be honest with you, Ben nominating me for this this last few weeks has been a bit of a soul searching for me, and I, I realised I actually got something to offer, and I've actually know a little bit. It's yeah, it's funny because I've never been somebody that take photos. I've never listened to. Podcasts. I've never watched YouTube. I'm yet to, to see Youngbloods. I've, I've no idea who the fella is. <laughs> it's, 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 so it's, I'm terrible. I'm the worst client. I just do it because I love it, mate. It's, I'm out in the ocean and what I get more enjoyment than anything is seeing other people's passions ignite because I've been here once. 
Yeah. And the only way you can have that passion back is sometimes when you see a new guy and you see, mate, this guy's stuff for life. There's no other sport that is going to replace that. And I smile because I know I see years ahead. And when you get to my age, then you start thinking we can go into equalization and all that stuff a little bit later. But I've done so much damage to my body that every day from year on is a blessing for me. Yeah. Every day's diving, I'll go out and I'm thinking, how long is this body going to hold up? How long is his ears going to go hold up? Because the day I can't dive, mate, I'll be, I don't know what I'll do. I just, I don't, it just, it's, it's, it scares the Jesus out of me. This guy's diving into the 80s these days. And I think um, technology's helped a little bit, but um, it seems to be like there's a certain type of person that's attracted to free dive spearfishing too. You definitely seem like one of those birds. So, you're exactly the sort of person I love getting on the podcast. Thanks, mate. Um, you said you said to me, I can't remember a time I wasn't drawn to the sea. Talk to me about where this love affair started. What was the catalyst for you, and 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 where did it all start, mate? I, I grew up in the sticks, and it's if anybody is the easiest way is everybody knows where the shark cage diving gets done. Yep. I was literally just across the bay from there, so very, very close to it. It's a wonderful little place called Honours River on the border of Amanas. It's got free top of Wales there, so it was nothing funny to see anything. If you stand on one of the mountains looking down, you can count 100, 150 whales at any one time. So it was whales everywhere. It's abundance of life. Tiniest fish in the world for all these big things. You get these big animals and then you get these tiny fish, but a bit of a contradiction. So... As a kid, I grew up um, in Honours River and um, there was a big old campsite there and in front of it was all these rock pools and I was hyperactive and mum used to take me down to these rock pools and entertain me by letting me play in these rock pools and I sent you that photo and that's my favourite dive photo. If you want to put a dive photo up of me, that is the photo. And it's mum is telling me to come home after days playing down the rock pools. And I've got my little abalone shells in my hand. And we all have that feeling like when you pull that anchor the last time and you have to come home, nobody likes that. It's <laughs> another half an hour, just one more dive, you know. It's like my motto, just one more dive, you know. And that's where it started. So I cannot remember a time not being in the ocean. I just I can't remember it. And then I'll quickly ramble on. You can stop me if there's any questions. What happened was... Um, I wanted to actually interrupt you for a minute there. Like you were talking about being hyperactive as a kid and it's something that I can probably relate to as well. Did you find the ocean like a calming thing? As in, is that something that you still sort of... Yeah, yeah, mate. It's, I, I was hyperactive and I'm severely dyslexic. And I'm going to say I'm hyperactive. I went to the military and out of the 1,500 guys, we were nominated down to 80 and I was one of those 80 and I found more, most of the stuff boring because I had more energy than most. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying it because of bragging. I'm too old now for it. I can't do any of those things anymore <laughs> anyway. So that's beside the point. Well, my point is some of us has been thrown with this gift and we don't fit in a classroom. We sit and jump on a chair. We misbehave. We're not very good kids in a classroom. Mm. But you throw us in the ocean and that's where we belong. It's mm. it's the ocean comes. Is that something, a body of water? It's, it's when I met my wife, I was crystal clear. I said, babe, my biggest love is the ocean. If you can't share me with the ocean, I'm not for you. And I meant it 100%. I would love her completely and truly, but I cannot share my love for the ocean with anyone. That is part of me. That, and I think some of us are like that. It's not, it's, it's a fundamental thing. It's, 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 it's fundamental to your health, to your well-being, to, to yes. just being a healthy person. Thank you. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not good with wordsmith. I'm no wordsmith, but 
Yes, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get, I get, I get you. I hear what you're saying. I can empathise as well on a level. Like, I spent um, a year and a half maybe travelling and away from the open ocean, and even living here in Brisbane, like we're in a bay. And I love being close to the open ocean. You know, there's like it's oxygen-rich water, there's surf, there's swell, and there's just life. And you can feel that. And when you're in it, it's like it's something like it's so crazy and so untamable, but there's life in it and it's like calming at the same time. It's, I, so I, I hear what yeah. you're saying. No, definitely. So so moving on, like um, you said at the, at, the, at the age of five or six, like this is, yeah. we're talking 1975 here. Um, yeah. yeah. Give or take. It, it's either 1974 and 1975, call it 75 better. You know, it's, it's I definitely at 75 I was already diving. Um, it's a funny story. It's, there was this guy in every, he was a mercenary and he was part of mum's family. And this fellow used to come into the campsite, and I don't think anybody said no to him. And um, he had a passion for diving, and he would take me, climb a hand to the inner tube. Inner tube has got a little net bag for the avalon and whatever else we get, a like crook or whatever. Yep. And then another rope to him, and then he would still drag me through the gel beds. <laughs> and if I get panicky or I go whatever, I can pull over and then lay on the tube. I just hold onto the tube and let him carry me or whatever. So it was a, a slow induction in a fast way. Yeah. And I would say that fellow there, I think his name was Strevis. Um, he, he's the guy that opened Pandora's box for me, sort of like could never put it all back, you know, it's impossible. It's, it's yeah. I suddenly fell in love with what was below these kelps and, and, and it was amazing. And, yeah, like that's where it all started and the passion started and slowly but surely I got to learn the ocean. Yeah, right. That's incredible. So, I mean, 1975 was a different era, you know, like your mum allowed this to happen in the first place. I, I'm, I'm just picturing like a, you know, like a six-year-old boy just hanging onto this air-filled inner tube tyre and getting dragged over these huge kelp forests. Um, was, it, was it scary for you? Like, um, what do you remember about it? What sticks out? Well, it's, what I do remember is the excitement of it all, just uh, the sheer fact and I think as a kid, you, like, I remember only little things. I remember going through, looking with my mask and seeing this guy getting all this abalone. And now as I'm older, I realise where we want. It's just the start of a calpet. So he wasn't that great a diver, yeah. but he introduced me to it. He yeah. took me to the beginning of a kelp forest. And as life, like years later, one of my last memories, um, there's this thing called Red Stenbra. Now some of the South Africans can probably hate me, but... <laughs> Anyway, I learned to spearfish these, and very few people can spearfish them because they just don't know how to find it. And I found that what you do is you swim out to the kelp, but then when you can't feel the kelp, you do this before the sun comes up. So it has to be night. You swim out, and then when a kelp stops, you get that sense of now it's open. And then it's weird. Kelp is like it's like a safety net for you and mentally. So you've got the open one, and you turn around, and then you lay in the kelp bed again waiting. And as the first light breaks, the ocean is insanely, insanely alive. Mm. And because of the maybe of the phosphorus water in the Atlantic Ocean, you can see fish in the silhouette of all these fish. And that's how you spearfish these fish. Wow. And that is when you grow up in a kelp forest. How else would you learn these things? You know, you just you dive night, you dive day, you dive during a day, you find every single cycle of a day has got different things happening. And it's Sometimes you get a big old whale and you're thinking, you know, what's this in front of me? And it's a big old whale lying in a kelp bed, you know. It's, 
it's magic. It's just, yeah, uh, I've gone off a point. Sorry, get me back on the point very straight. No, no, it's all good. How, how far away from, um, have you seen the My Octopus Teacher on Netflix? No, mate. It's, I'm not, I, I, some people have told me, mate Ivan, he's actually told me about it, and he showed me a little clip of it, and it's like my home, mate. The yeah, only that's thing what I was thinking. When I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking like, okay, the, like I'm, I'm getting the visuals from that documentary while you're talking. Every single thing that he showed me on it, the only thing is the guy jumps everywhere, mate. He probably covered about 180 kilometres of coast in that video. Yeah, yeah. So it's amazing, but he knows all the magic. That guy knows his coast. Because all that is, you had to be a local to know those areas. Yeah. It's it's it makes me feel like I actually want to watch it with my boy to show my boy where his dad grew up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you you'll like it. There's something magical about kelp and and temperate water spearfishing. Like Northern California's got it, Alaska's got it, Tasmania and parts of South Australia have got it. There's parts of New Zealand that have got some of it. But these these huge kelp forests, like it just like I ha- haven't done a lot of that sort of diving, and I, but I'm just kind of um, I'm in awe of the the, the magic of it. Like um, yeah. I recently had a was invited to partially narrate uh, a spearfishing documentary film by um, a buddy Travis and Andre, and they've got a real cool section in it with this wicked soundtrack to the the kelp forests in, in Northern California. And yeah, like I'd love to see. Yeah, well, I'm just listening to you talk, and it's just putting me back in that place and. I, I want to go there. That, that's like some people love the tropical water and the super clear stuff, and I do too. But I also am intrigued by the temperate water, the kelp forest. They, there's something magical about it. Yeah, it's magical. The magical is the right word. Um, I was listening to that Eric fella. I've listened to about five or six of your podcasts. Love them all, by the way. I think it's such a good thing. And I, I feel embarrassed that I, I have not listened to you before, mate. But I joined half of the spearfishing population. That's why I'm stoked when listeners share it with uh, with guys like you because, yeah. you know, like it, it opens up more opportunities for me to get cool people like you on the show. So it's bloody awesome. Yeah. Going back to that Eric fella, I really like him because um, the guy's passionate as well. And, and kelp beds, it's once you fall in love mm-hmm. with it, you, you – it really, really gets you. You know, it's it's amazing. But um, I wanted to say something. Oh, that's that's a, a thing that I remember as a kid. It's it's. I didn't know much about diving. To be honest with you, I know nothing about diving. And the first number, and that's the other thing is, probably, if I'm honest about it, more than half my life, so 25 plus years, I have dived alone. Yeah. And I know it's wrong. Um, and I find that the guys that I've dived with today. It's terrible, but those people gravitate to me and or I'm to them or whatever. So we all go on a boat, we jump off, and then we never see each other again till the end of the day. Mm. And that is wrong and stuff. But there is a few of us left, and I think the new divers has got it right. So I'll start there. But with a kelp, kelp was my safety net as a kid, and I think if I didn't have a kelp, I'm thinking of blackouts. I had so many blackouts where I saw stars and stuff. And what was beautiful about the kelp, you just hold your hands like this mm. and you punch yourself a hole for the thick kelp. Now, this is big bull kelp. And as a kid, you can actually roll your back and you can lay on top of the kelp and recover. Ah. Until the time go. Now, what happened if I grew up in Brisbane or in Sydney? I'll be a dead kid. It's So what I'm saying is the ocean is, is can be a cruel business, but I'll tell you what, she also looks after you. It's like, I don't think if I didn't have a kelp, I wouldn't be here today. It's it's the amount of times I've passed out. It's not funny. It's 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 and and perverse my eardrums. 
I did every, all the stupid stuff, mate. All the stupid stuff. It was only when I got to the military and started spearfishing for the military and playing underwater hockey, I learned how to do it proper. Yeah. It's it, it's embarrassing, you know. It's So I see these guys today, you know, it's like bang, and they're into it and they're going for it. They have all this knowledge, and I'm thinking, how amazing is this? What they learn in a week, I took 20-odd years to learn. What do you think there's been the big shift now with um, with younger divers appreciating the need to buddy up and things like that? Well, what's the difference between the older generation and the, and the guys coming through now? I think what happened in the older generation, especially guys like I'm thinking of Hans Baylor, Barry, um, basically old timers, you know, all those guys. And I don't know what came first, but I think a lot of these young guys, although they have a passion, and I know I'm not going to debate it with them, but your passion only grows like, Yesterday I went out diving with a couple of good mates and I'm to the point where I can't pull the trigger anymore. It's, it's I see fish and I, I look at them dance, I look at them swim, and, and I really need to eat it. If I don't eat it, then I just can't shoot it. But I'm not expecting the young guys because they're going to have to go through that cycle. And once they've completed that cycle, you start looking at the magic. You're looking at things floating in the water. You're looking... You're going underneath a jellyfish and you can spend 10 minutes just floating with a jellyfish and you get more enjoyment out of that than you get out of shooting a fish. Do you think it's like coming full circle? Because like by the sounds of it, when you were a young kid and you jumped in for the very first times and you... Yeah, I killed it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you... What, what, what was the... What do you, can you recognise some stages of progression in your spearfishing sort of um, mindset? Oh, definitely, mate. I think initially I was so hung, hungry for anyone. I remember standing on the shore and there was another kid, Andre, and um, it was only the two of us that dived that whole coast. There was no one else. And he looked at me and I looked at him and we both shy and I found myself, we like this kid, you know. And it took us probably four or five years of looking at each other before we dived together. <laughs> it's, 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 it's sad. It's sad, you know, but... That was the days, you know, now you just punch something in Facebook or, I don't know, all these things. It's I'm learning. It's all the last two years I joined this, and it's all pretty much. I've got good mates like Shane and people like that, but and Mika, they're helping me through this new age thing. But I think it's nicer today. To be honest with you, it's safer. It's a better network, and you can share your passion where in my days I couldn't talk to anyone because really people looked and they go, what an odd guy, you know. It's like he goes out in the cold water, there's sharks in there, there's this in there, you can drown under the kelp. Why would he do it? So they don't want to really listen to your stories. No. And let's be honest, most people were still dumbfounded by free dive spiros. Like we, we just seem like we're something else. Like you, you get the same questions every time, like how, how long do you hold your breath? And what yeah, exactly. About, what about sharks and it never stops, and you're always that oddity, you know. Like I go to work, and none of them do it. And but you know, like I got the podcast, and I have the Noob Spirit community, and we're all separated by countries and geography a lot of the time. But we all share the same passion, and it's we it's do. kind of cool. Like there's, we don't, there's no need for that isolation anymore. There's heaps of cool people to talk to, and if they're not in one group, you find them in another. Yeah, true, true, true. That's so true. I love that feeling underwater when you pull the trigger and you know exactly where that shaft is going. You want something dependable. You want to put that fish that you've been chasing for a lifetime in the boat, in the cooler, in the esky, in the chili bin if you're in New Zealand. Why do we call all these things different names? Anyway, today's show sponsor, KillShotSpearGuns.com, make 
awesome wooden timber spear guns, a fantastic shooting platform. If you've ever shot a big timber gun, you know the, the reliability that you get from these things. So he mostly makes enclosed track spear guns. Visit him at killshotspearguns.com. Use the code NOOB to save $30 on any Killshot spear gun. If your buddy had a blackout on your next spearfishing trip, think, what would the outcome of that be? Do you know how to revive someone from a blackout? Would you even be in a position to do something about it? Or would you be diving, chasing after a fish as your buddy sinks down to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where most blackouts happen? Do you know what you can do to minimize your risk of having a blackout? My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of freedivingsafety.com. In my free online course, you will learn the truth about shallow water blackout, the myth of, I don't push myself, I know my limits, I'm in tune with my body, how to minimize your risk of having a blackout, and most importantly, how to save your buddy's life if they have one. Visit freedivingsafety.com to sign up for your free course today. Dive safe out there. It's, it's not even that hard. So equipment, to walk me through your journey with uh, with with sort of, so you started with a inner tube being dragged around. What happened from there? Mate, um, I was speaking of a voice the other day. It's I remember oh, it must have been the 70s sometime. We started taking these. Now, I can't remember what, say, a length of a tube was 2.4 metres or 3 metres. It was long, like an aluminium tube. These are before the days before there was these fancy tracks. I remember the first thing that you could bolt onto a tube and you had a guide for your spear. And we thought, this is ingenious. Yeah. And it was these, so we had these spear guns that we made that I would say from tip to tip was three meters. Wow. And um, you had a mid handle on the side and you would load to the one handle and you had this weird little device being and you stand with your foot on the mid handle and you pull it. And remember, you can't see the end of a spear gun. It's the Atlantic Ocean, which is, it's like a dumb, dumb thing to do. But so we, we played with things and then, a mate of mine, Louis, he started a business over there, and then I started going to his shop, and this is before he had a shop, and um, he started, and, and, and these are the days where, you know, the brand started developing new brands. They weren't, I mean, I only remember Cressy, um, Picasso was maybe one. There, there was no brands, like as we have today. You know, today I look at spear guns, and to be honest, there must be, Four, five hundred brands of spear guns now. Yeah, and it's amazing, which means the standards is so much higher. But those days, you you didn't have a choice. Like I remember the first spear gun I bought was a little Champion, and we we tailored this and remade it, and and it was Bakelite plastic, it was hard plastics. You couldn't really work with it. Yeah, we had problems, but we we still enjoyed it. We and 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 we were happy with what we got, like meaning fish wise and. Yeah, so today a lot of guys will look at this and go, what a piece of rubbish. But to us that was, it was new. It was, I remember my first pair of long fins was a pair of gold fins. And um, in Fiji I lost my fins and um, I had to buy a pair of Fiji fins and it was from Russia. Now I can't remember the names of it. But these things must weigh like 20 kilograms each. And I thought, how do people dive with this? You know, maybe the Russians must be pretty good divers to swim with these things. <laughs> and, um, you know, obviously it must be big blokes, you know. It's, and but I'm saying a pair of gold fins was equivalent. It's like in a day it was gold. But if we didn't have a pair of gold fins, we didn't have today's three dive fins. So it was a full progression. And um, I think it's amazing how we've learned from each other. And none of us, our ideas are new. It's all based on something. It's like, 
in one of those photos, you see a bag there and people go, oh, that's such and such a bag. And I'm thinking, dad got that bag made for me. There was no bags. You know, it's like, then I should give my father the brain, like the ideas, like he's the, the first one to design a bag like that. So it's, it's, it's all just what I'm saying is we learn. We take ideas from one and we, we make it better. And that's, I think, why we have got as far as we did. Do you think, like, back in those days when everyone was sort of isolated and separated and because it seemed like there was these, these different schools of thought with regards to, you know, the innovation or the evolution of the innovation of spearfishing equipment. And you had Hawaiians doing their own things, Australians were doing their own things, South Africans were doing their thing. The North Americans were definitely doing their thing. And then somehow we're along the way, it all started to mix. And I think we have started to capture some, some of the best stuff, although some stuff doesn't cross over. But do you think that there's still that culture of innovation and people that want to tinker with in spearfishing? I think it's getting harder now for a, a lot of spearers because like roller guns, for instance, they have progressed in the last two years what other spear guns has done in 30, 40, 50 years. And... I think we put sometimes too much emphasis on a tool. You know, it's like when, when I spearfish, I, remember, I, don't listen to me alone because it's just a point of view. Mm. But if you can't shoot a fish dead, don't shoot it. So I don't like shooting a fish in my meat that I'm going to eat. So it has to be shot dead, humanely. I want to kill it first time. So in order to do that, it doesn't really matter what gun you've got in your hand. You just have to wait for the fish that's close enough to shoot it. So take more time. Hold your breath a little bit longer. Relax a bit more. That fish will come to you. It's like, you know, burley. I would say 99% of my fish I've shot without burley. Fish will come to you. It's, it's, you just change your mindset. Enjoy it more. You know, try and shoot a snapper without burley. It's much more fun. And you feel better for it. You go, that was good. How lucky am I? Yes, that guy got 10 snapping, you only got one, but hey, I've got mine without Burley. It, it's, it's a gift. It's, I can't explain it. I'm sort of picking up on a theme here. Like it's like, and I've, said, I've had this in my own diving before, like when my free diving is extra pathetic, and I say extra pathetic because normally it's pathetic, but sometimes if I haven't been in the water for a couple of months and like I just haven't shot a fish for a while and like I get that scarcity mindset and I have the, I have this tendency to rush the moment, you know, where I think my breath holds that shit. I've just got to take every opportunity that comes to me and I dive too fast and I hopefully get within range of something and then I let fly as far as fast as I can and maybe I get the fish and maybe I don't. But sometimes it seems like that first fish back on the board, it's like, I haven't slowed down and enjoyed the moment. It was all just about getting that fish. And then after I've got the first fish, then I start to relax and drop back a few gears. And, 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 but I don't know. It seems to be a mindset, I think, maybe. Isaac, I think what you're doing is normal, mate. Everyone um, that I know that has been spearfished for a few years, and when I say few years, anything from five to ten years, that is normal, mate. It's, uh, there'll be a time that... If you like I said, like I'm going back to say Hans or Barry or Greg Pickering or one of those guys, I'm sure if you talk to them, they're long over, mate. It's like you've killed enough things <laughs> that you just change. You just change. You want certain things and you only will shoot that one thing. Now, somebody else on a boat will beat you day in and day out in numbers, but you couldn't care. You just couldn't care because that's long time left. You're now just happy to be out with your mates, doing something that you love, that you share that passion having that beer afterwards, cleaning that fish, really, all those things are more important than a diet. That is what keeps your mental 
is insane in an insane world. It's it's to me, you know, spearfishing, getting that fish is such a small part of it. Yeah, it's 100%. so much more. It's like all the things that happen on our journey that day. I get much more buzz out of that. But then again, like I said, don't listen to me. I'm on you know fossil, mate. It's <laughs> I'm loving it. One other thing mentioned to me was your unsinkable dive boat, which I've seen pictures of. It's got a, it's fully camouflaged. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's an interesting looking boat to say the least. Um, can you describe your dive boat for for listeners, mate? Um, it's it's a custom made aluminium pontoon boat, and it's made by two mates. Um, I don't want to drop a name because I might get them in trouble. In industrial, so it's more where they build warships, and um, it's a really, really good solid vessel and. If I'll be honest with you, it's just the perfect vessel for me because I've made a few mistakes along the way, like so many other people. And if I had any other boat, I think we might have been dead a few times. Wow. Um, but we've we've had it underwater. We've had it six meter swell breaking straight over you. Wow. We're talking about. I think it's better if you get all these guys together around the table and let them tell the stories <laughs> because it's too many stories for one show, mate. That that boat. It's my baby. I love it. I've rebuilt it a few times. Like you can see the camo job on it. And I've learned that the only way, in my opinion, is do everything yourself. If you're a boat owner, do it all yourself. Yes, it's going to be a big learning curve, but learn it because not, I mean, like most captains, hopefully on a boat, they'll have Sudafed and they'll have Panadol or all these things that divers might need. But you need a little bit more. You need to know how that engine breaks, how do I fix it? If, you know, a bull's bomb don't work, how do I fix it? Cut the wires, put it straight in the battery. That will save your boat. These things is not a negotiable. This is your responsibility. And you cannot learn that in one day. It takes a lifetime. But that boat of mine, there is nothing on it that hasn't been done by myself and some of my friends. So even a trailer made on my desk, um, help me with that. It's it's expensive trailer by all means, but it's aluminium trailer, um, Duralite trailers. If you start getting serious about how to launch, you know, people have like this expensive four-wheel drive and they drive it right in the beach. And I'm thinking, I'm getting heart palpitation, thinking that's forty thousand plus dollars, and you're putting in a trailer cost ten grand, mate, and it'll last you a lifetime if you buy it right. Don't buy those crappy steel ones. Just buy aluminium. And buy Australian made because it will always be the other one. And have your setup. You don't hurt your back. You don't have accidents. I can launch anywhere. And guys can vouch for it, mate. It's, and I never get my back tires ever wet. Because if you think hard enough, you'll be able to do it. Just learn. Ask people. And they're happy. Like, I'm happy to tell anybody how to do it. The journey, like, I've never owned a boat. Um, but I have got old enough now and I've been sparing long enough that I have got a lot more fussy with regards to um, the systems and the way a skipper operates a boat. I'm not going to tell them how to do their job or I'm going to try my best never to do that. And I always try and listen to what the skipper says. Good on you, mate. But, you, you know, you do get, like, the longer you do something, the more particularly you get with things. And I, there's oh, crews of people that I love going spearfishing with and there's other people now that I don't go out with. Walk me through the journey of becoming a skipper Taking responsibility, learning how to do all this shit, and then and and then and then what the requirements that you have on people when they come on your boat. 
My my journey of um, being a skipper is it started really um, in South Africa. We only do shore dives, so I dive places like Walker Bay, False Bay, Seal Island off Hard Bay, everything places like that. So all was shore diving. Okay. And then suddenly I got to WA. I married an Australian girl, Frio girl, and I was suddenly at home. I love this country to the ends, and I started shore diving. And I realised in WA, good luck if you live around Perth. It's pretty hard. And I'd pretty much dive everywhere I could find on a chart to dive. And um, then my wife was nice enough and indulged my nagging because I couldn't stop to buy my first boat. And I bought this little vessel. And within a week or two or something, <laughs> oh, shit. Um, like do. so I mean, we all do that. It's just I bought too small. It, it was a one-man boat and I put two people on it. So it doesn't work. Equation. And I bought something a little bit longer and better, knowledge gain. And um, suddenly, I couldn't go miles because I had this tiny little 20 horsepower behind me. I tell you what, you go around anything around Perth, I've dived every single inshore reef, and I get fish everywhere when all these guys fly over it at top speed thinking it's not there. And I'm just laughing. I'm thinking, (laughs) wonderful, (laughs) because I had a tiny little vessel. So my advice is, I have that little vessel. Get your skills home. Learn how swell works. Learn how to anchor. What does wind do? What does swell does? You know, sometimes you have like a wind running from one way, waves from another side, and a current from the other. Maybe that day, move because you're too close to the reef. You will lose your vessel. And I'll talk from experience. Um, so these things you can't learn just by yourself. These Ocean will teach you these things. Um, and start with that small thing because you'd be a bit scared to do mad things where if you have a big vessel, you feel safe and it's it's a make-believe safe because that big vessel can go down the same way. So that's all I learned. And then eventually I got hullabaloo. And hullabaloo in my um, words mean glorious noise, which my wife's um, play on hull. And I like the thing of glorious noise because when that boat skims over a beautiful flat ocean and you have an anticipation of getting to your dive spot, that is what the name is for me, is that, yeah. that sensation of the good days diving. And through the time, I've learned how to service my own vessels from, like, fixing, like, bearings. And now I'm, I'm like this, like I said, I'm like a bit of a fossil. I can help all these younger guys fixing their boats yeah. because I have that knowledge. So don't try and get it all. And if somebody make you feel like they know it all, the only reason they know it all is because they've made more mistakes than you. Don't ever be under the illusion that they born smart. That's bullshit. Uh, bullshit. Yeah. It's yeah. just, in the end of the day, is you're only smart because you've stuffed up more than other people and you keep going because you believe I can do it better next time. And that's where I am today. It's you have knowledge gained through years of faults. Love it. Um, so how, how big is your boat? How many you take out at a time? I don't know the length of my boat. Say seven metres, give or take. It's a long, skinny boat. Um, and it's, it's as wide as it's legally allowed. Um, it's got a stainless steel binnami because I believe in a big binnami design, a boat should always ride behind a vehicle. If you can stand in front of your vehicle and you see your boat, don't buy that boat, it's useless because you can't take it. Australia's a big country and you travel miles. I believe a boat should sit behind, sit low in a trailer so it's easy launchable and you shouldn't see the boat from the front. That is the perfect diver's boat. Okay. Now, if you have a binnami, design a binnami thinking of, doing 110 kilometres an hour, not on the ocean, um, and you won't have any extra fuel consumption. As for Benemy, Trek, you're a big fella. 
I have to think Shrek is going to hang off my Binami because that is his island of holding on to. Yeah. So my Binami is designed for Shrek to hang off it. So you have to think in the whole time think. So that's how the boat came about. And I love my boat and it's been good to all of us year in and year out. And I can take up to five divers out, including myself. Um, we have been five. The furthest we've gone offshore is probably about 80, 85 kilometers offshore. Um in my boat, and we didn't feel unsafe, no. Cool. So you're running two buddy pairs? I mean, what's your rules for in the water and stuff when you've got full load? Um, I'm the worst. I have no such rule as buddy pairs. It's just you don't be an idiot. Um, you're not allowed on my boat if you're an idiot. I don't like cowboys. It's not welcome. Yeah. Um, dive safely. Try and stay together if you can. I dive with fossils, mate. They don't do that. You can't teach old dogs. <laughs> um, yeah. But we all go off. I've got two rolls on my boat. There's a thing called a foxfish here in WA. It's a big old little redfish. I don't shoot them because it's like shooting your grandfather. These fish grow old. You wouldn't shoot your grandfather, your grandmother. Don't shoot this fish. It's it's not a polite thing to do. And then there's another fish called the little boar fish. There's almost hardly any of them left here in our coast. It's you won't shoot your dog. The thing follows you around. It's pets, mate. It's like they are beautiful creatures. If a thing is too easy to shoot, don't shoot it. Um, so people know, don't come with a bullfish to my boat and don't bring a foxfish on my boat. You're not welcome. Um, because it's, it's it's just crazy to do that because these things live on a reef. They never go anyway. So in my opinion, if you're going to spearfish, leave things on that reef. If there's no life left on that reef, tomorrow you can't go back. And I'm starting to see this where people share spots and that's fine. I'm happy with it. But also share it with the next thing and say, yes, you can go to my spot, but please leave a couple of crates. Please leave a couple of fish because it's good for the reef and you can go in year out, year out. And if it's a lot of fish congregating, it's probably because they're breeding. Leave them alone. Yeah. Because five weeks from now, you're shooting them and there's more of them. So just think, boys, just think. Don't. It's not about a stupid photo. You know, we all have it. You're going to have many of us that don't bump yourself down to get a photo today. You'll get it tomorrow. Words of wisdom there, Bert. Um, Bob, you said you mentioned like being a cowboy, being an idiot. I know that, you know, it's, it's probably evident to a lot of people what that means. But but just some of the, your personal bugbears, like, um, like for me, I'll give you an example. One thing I don't like, I don't like it when – the skipper, whoever's, or the Beatty, you know, whatever. If it's, it might not be the skipper, but it could be, you know, whoever's running Beatty. They, you know, you're doing a drift and current and they put you on the, the top drop-off for the current and then it's not evident that they've put it in neutral and they don't say clear either. You know, like if you don't have a real loud click when it clicks into neutral, then you need to say clear or something along those lines so that people know, hey, it's safe to jump over because – if they don't do that, I'm, I'm just going to sit there waiting. And then, you know, like if you're in heavy current or wind, like you're going to have drifted off that line, then you're no longer on the sweet spot for the drift. Um, that's one of my personal bugbears. I mean, but I, I agree with you on this. It's percent there. Thinking just quick, and, and this is maybe just a, I see a similarity here. There's a guy called Jerry, also a really interesting guy that you interviewed, um, things from Neptonics or memory. Yeah. And Eric, and both of them come from a military background. And it's it's not always a good thing mm. to be from a military background. It can probably be a bit annoying to other people because you've got to stick up your ass sort of thing. <laughs> um, but one thing, anybody that's – it's a lot of their situation. You do not – there's no negotiating. There's no pleases or nicely. You tell somebody, 
jump off on that side of a boat because the current runs out. I don't want you to go into the prop. So you make the decision. That's your responsibility. Get up, get gross set of balls and own up. You have your safety of your crew at heart and you have to tell them what to do. That is not a negotiable. If something goes wrong and you have to go back to that guy's wife, mother, how are you going to feel? Yeah. It's, it, you know, that's what I'm saying. Don't be a coward. Don't be an idiot. Take responsibility. Man up or woman up or whatever the terminology is and um, treat it seriously because our sport is dangerous. There's no second chances. And sometimes you're lucky and you get a second chance, but that's exactly it, luck. You don't think you're skilled. That's just nonsense. Yeah, love it. Um, yeah, there's something about the military thing. Like I grew up, both my parents were um, officers in the New Zealand Army. I, I think my friends used to joke they used to call my house the base when I was growing oh, up. brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> they even painted it like Army Green for some reason. I don't know what they were trying to do there. But like, like and I, a lot of my friends in my peer group now are still either, you know, ex-military, paramilitary, something. Because, I, I don't know, you just... When you're in those situations, there's something very handy about people that aren't going to worry about being nice and polite. They're just going to tell you, boom, and then you just got to listen. You just got to do it. And, yeah, it's important. Like there's no, like, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I get what you're saying. So yeah. and, and, and another thing is I think from a skipper's point of view is, and I hope, I think I'm right here, I hope I am, but I've got this rule on my boat is when we come home, because sometimes I have newbies coming out, everything it doesn't matter if you got your price due that day or your price whatever. We take a photo, we weigh it if you want to, but at that point that fish is no longer yours. It is everyone on that boat. We split that 100% four ways because there'll always be a better diver and there'll all be somebody learning. But and to all those guys that listen to it, when I'm old, you're feeding me my quarter, please. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll get no more fish. I want my quarter by due fish. But anyway... Um, so you'll share, there'll be a time for you to share and there'll be a time for you to take. That's what I'm trying to say. And what that does, it doesn't put any pressure on the divers because you know the catch is all yours. So you do not own that fish. You share that fish amongst, yes, it's yours. Take acknowledgement for it. Take your photo of it. But at the end of the day, it gets shared by your mates and your peers and their families. And that's, I think that's the way to do it. I might have it wrong. No, I like it. I like it. Um, I guess in some cases, like, it would create, it could create a bit of pressure, like, if you're that new guy on the boat. I mean, it would be up to all of the experienced guys that are shooting a lot of fish just to say, hey, relax, dude. Like, doesn't matter if you don't put a fish in the esky today or the cooler or whatever you want to call it. But just, yeah, just chill out because we got you, you know, like. And then yeah. I think it, it makes some more, like, because spearfishing can be a really cool team sport, you know, like. When you've got a buddy, like you've got the high five moments where someone's actually seen what's happened. Like, and there's, you know, when you tell that story, like you've both got slightly different takes on it. And it's really cool. And that's true. And second shots, second shots are an awesome thing too. Like, you know, I know you, you were saying like you're pretty fussy with shot placement. Jeepers, over the years, I've dropped some shit shots, I tell you. Gut shots. We all have, mate. We all have. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but if I've got a buddy there and they, and they, Put in a second shot. I will never ever resent someone that puts in a second shot. Um, the the record thing that influences people and they don't like the second shot. I get it. And if you tell me that, I won't put a second shot on your fish. But me personally, I couldn't care. But mate, I, I find most of those guys, those record shot people, I don't dive with them anyway because they're just too full on, mate. They take all the enjoyment of diving out of it. It's just relax, mate. It's like. You're here to have fun with your mates. It's, it's, if, if the reason you're spearfishing is for a record, maybe, 
I don't know. I question that. Your your ethos is not the same as mine. Yeah, yeah. And 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 as you mentioned, like we go, you go through phases, you know. And some people are in that phase, and and that's how they roll. And the thing is, you get records anyway. I've got records. Yeah. You know, it's it's it happens. You don't have to try too hard. It's like that's what I love about the ocean. A big thing will one day just swim past you, and you can. I'll tell you a quick little story, fast one. Yeah. A mate of mine brings his brother out, um, Sebastian. He's they're all French. Brings his brother out. I take him to a spot of mine out here, and um, he's gearing up. And I jump in the water and I swim up, and I see him climbing back on the boat. I thought, oh, poor bastard, you know. It's like WA has probably done something to him. You know, he's new to this open water, or maybe too far out or something. I quickly swim back to see if he's okay. And as I come okay, I said, you're right, mate. And he goes, um, his name is Luke. And he goes, hey, Luke, you're right. He goes, yeah, no, I'm good. He goes, look at what I've got. And he picks up his jumbo. He's close to three kilos. And I, I, I'm just shocked. And I go, how the hell did you get that? He goes, I was walking over the sand. Now, I've never seen it all in my life. It doesn't happen. That's what I love about the ocean. It's going to give you gifts. If it's your day, you will get it. You don't have to be the best. Just relax. It will come to you. Love it. It's good advice, sage advice here. Um, I wanted to revisit the military stuff you're talking about. Um, so you, you mentioned playing underwater hockey um, and where, which military were you part of? In- the South African military. Um, I spent, I got awarded to the state at the age of 12. And then the next five years I spent in the military school. And then you automatically, they will place you in um, certain areas. So then you had to do two years national service minimum and another two years of um, like just after stuff. So I suppose having that mentality, you, you've made peace with the fact that you're going to have to do it. If you don't come from a wealthy family, which I grew up pretty poor, you couldn't go to uni and all that, so you couldn't bypass it. So we all had to do it. And you're with your peers, and it's a big equaliser. And from that point, I loved it because I had my brothers around me and suddenly I had friends I could spearfish with. That was the same as me. And I was very happy for that. You know, I had suddenly any time we had off, we were in a drink, mate. And and I remember with Garv Genman, um, he's got Genman Safaris um, in South Africa, and we'll drive up, up this hill in a um, – the back and then stop at this neighbourhood and then we run over the peak and run down to the island where the island um, is across the road or ocean and we'll quickly get our gear on and it's all timing because we've mm-hmm. got to do this whole thing in, in two hours. We run and, and quickly get our gear on and then swim over to the island and go and get these abs and swim back and maybe get a fish and it's like record and over. Now, what I'm trying to say today, I don't think I could find anyone <laughs> That's willing. I don't Google Seal Island Hard Bay and have a look for yourself. I think even myself, I, my balls has shrunk quite a lot. I don't think I could actually do it anymore. I'm too scared. <laughs> you know, we won with all that and we dived with it. And if I, what I'm saying is that experience introduced me to a fellow called Garth and he was just as nuts as me at the time. And we still probably reminisce about it, how we enjoyed this amazing experience. But I don't think. I would have if I did another sport. It's it's and you're living on the edge for a little bit. It brings you closer. That's what I'm trying to say. So you'll find that if you dive enough with your buddies in, it's maybe a shallow water blackout or whatever. Once things go wrong, the magic of that advances you for life because you had each other's backs. I'm just looking on Google at Seal Island. Uh, is it Shoalwater Bay now they call it? No, 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 no. That's just yeah, yeah no, no. This is in Africa. It's a place called Hard Bay, spelled H-O-U-T. B-A-Y, Heart Bay, South Africa. I was going to say that. 
Uh, oh wow, it's still sort of similar distance though, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's oh, a little. Wow. It's, it's like four, four or five kilometers. Oh, holy shit! It's 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 and anyway, it it was. But I'm saying this is a nice thing about life, you know. It's I can't go back and do it because I'm too old now. But you only live once, you know. And then I see people like you know they do something extreme, and you just sit back and you just smile. You're going, I can't. I'm not going to talk because I've done everything you've done. But the only people I can shared with us people like you that you, in, in people that actually are doing it rather than talking about it because I find today is everybody's selfing himself and to me it's just close to masturbation mate it's um just go out there and enjoy it like do it for yourself do it for it's it's a passion it's 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 live it like live today because you might be here tomorrow it's it's a privilege yeah I know sorry stop not preaching on my side mate I'll <laughs> It's good. I'm loving it. Um, so you went into, uh, after the military, you, you mentioned you got into commercial diving for diamonds. Yeah, yeah. that was fun. fun. It's, it's, I ended up um, becoming a commercial diver, worked out of Cape Town for a little bit till I got a job up the west coast of Africa. Um, and it's diamond diving. Now, this is old school. We we did both boat and tractors. I did both. Um, ended up got a contract with a tractor unit. So you would dive everything sort of under 15 metres so that you could spend longer in the water, which means more gravel gets sucked out of the ocean and then classified and then diamonds. And it was a really, really interesting time because anybody that knows the West Coast of Africa know it's never clean. It's always rough, always dirty, and it is gnarly. It is it is an ocean to be feared. It's not like anything else I've ever been in. It's The currents are strong. I've seen three, four-metre swell being pushed completely flat by a riptide that looks like a lake between two waves. It's And you're jumping into that to get you out behind the swell. It's just thinking about it is you can only be young and do stupid things like that. Have you had much experience with like some when you get a nasty current like that, sometimes you get a real big vortex like downwards. And yeah. have, you, yeah. have you had some nasty down and up current experiences? Just go with it. Let it take you where it wants to and then decide where it wants to flow with it. Don't fight it. You're not strong enough. How would you die? So, I mean, did you make much money doing this? I mean, was it a legitimate? Mate, my, now, I'm glad my wife is not here because she always goes, what the hell did you do? I was young, mate. I bought beer, motorbikes, the normal idiotic things people do. Angola. I remember reading about jobs over there diving for diamonds. Was it Angola or, or was it? Yeah, whole... yeah, you can go up. As in, Angola is getting a little bit far. Um, you have a thing called the Aranya River, and the diamonds are all land-based. It goes out of a pipe. It flows down with rivers to a bigger river. The bigger river pushes it into the ocean, and the ocean then disperses it, and a swell pushes it into bays. Now, your best diamonds – now, you're talking to a diamond diver here, so we've, we have our opinion that our diamonds are the best. But by the time it gets to the coast, it's been pummeled and turned so many times that your crappy diamonds has been smashed up into smaller bits – and your good solid diamonds that you get is the ones that girls love wearing because they're super beautiful. And it was. It was a fantastic time. It was a fantastic time turning the tray over and seeing that little tiny circle and there's maybe two, three hundred little diamonds lying there. And you get like shakes. It's like, it's, it's oh, anyway, it, it was good. It was a good time. Hey, Shrek. Jeremy here, man. I'm back. I just wanted to say the podcast is growing from strength to strength, my friend. Hoorah, man. 
I just wanted to also say thank you to your listeners for their uh, continued support, subscribing, reading, writing, and submitting kick-ass spearfishing adventures from all over the planet. Your listeners kick-ass, and Shrek, my friend, so do you. All you guys, come check out the latest edition of Spearing Magazine at spearingmagazine.com. Jeremy out. bit of a secret and it's, uh, it's just between you and me but but um it's not really I'm, but my girlfriend won't listen to the podcast anyway but i'm i'm not far off getting engaged oh, and, wonderful. um and i've got a mate he's a spiro as well he's actually making the engagement ring and i can't really afford a big stone for the middle so i'm gonna i'm gonna maybe do that in the future and revisit it but um i have these romantic ideas of maybe getting the stone myself is that a possibility over there, or is it a realistic one? I mean, what am it's, I? It's it's um, to answer no, because what <laughs> happens is, is yes, you can get it yourself. I could put you on a spot, and I could tell you where to suck for it, and 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 you'll get it on. That's not a problem. But the problem is, you've got big corporate bodies like um, Biffles Bunk, or better known as the Beer Diamonds. These are international people. They are very very powerful, and they've got all the rules is in their court. You cannot negotiate with them. It's all set in stone because diamonds are worth a lot around the world. And people don't know how many diamonds are coming from that. It's it's insane amount. And um, basically, no, because how, how are you going to negotiate with a company like the beers? I, I couldn't even see where you're going to start. You know, it's not like you can fill a form out and suddenly get a diamond. No. So yeah. I can't see it happening. But then again, there might be, you know, a black market, somebody that's willing to take you out and do it on the side, and yes, then it's very easy to because you can get all of it done. That's not a problem. It's it's more everything after that. Yeah, right. Okay, we we we've definitely gone off topic here, but I've enjoyed the aside for sure. So after commercial diving, your military experience, you mentioned you've uh, you did a lot of travel and you took a spear gun with you for a lot of the, the a lot of the time. Whereabouts did you get to? Mate, I I I left the diamond diving and I just. I had to. I just had to get out of my environment. I was. I was sort of stuck in a rut. So, saved a bit of that diamond money, and um, I set up. And for the next seven years, I I went from this military bloke to still having long hair today, and I wore sarong. I, I didn't have any shoes, and I just roamed around the planet and just wherever I could. I had a, a mate for a little while that was a keen surfer. So we went to places like um, Whangarei. I loved it there. I think it's amazing. We went to, um, I think it's Kerry Kerry where he loves surfing. I think maybe some of you can still remember there was a Bob Marley in a toilet block. I'm a shit surfer, so I couldn't surf. So I painted Bob Marley in a toilet block because I had nothing better to do. <laughs> um, and I, I, I spearfished and I found a lot of the, um, my friends in New Zealand, a lot of, of the Maori families that I hung out with, they were so happy to get fish. So they would take me drive me to these top spots. And they were happy to sit and wait for me while I could spearfish. I thought, I can't believe these people. They're great. <laughs> and they were happy to get the fish. So it was a, it's happy. And then I, I ended up in Fiji, um, living on a little island called Kora before there was resorts or anything. Um, a, a guy at Cloud Break that was the boat guy, he said to me, mate, this is not Fiji. I'll show you Fiji. Come home. And I lived with his family. And after a few months on the island, I realised as a Westerner, I looked at their ways and it was time to go because I was going to change things, the way they live. And then I, I moved on. But I, I, I speared this bear. I, I, I lived and worked in um, Florida for a bit and I, I see all the guys getting fish from Florida, but 
I went from the side from a place called St. Augustine and I had terrible experiences and didn't really get anything, to be honest with you. And wow. um, I, I listened to these things. I'm thinking, I wish there was the internet so I could have met these blokes because yeah. they could have showed me all their tough spots because I draw when I listen to some of these stories. Yeah. So, yeah, I got, I got to travel around the world many a times, met some amazing people, spearfish some amazing, but the reality is I've got a spear gun that can fit in a bag. This is good old days before 9-11. Um, but you could wear a weight belt and your knife. I used to take my weight belt on the plane and my knife and <laughs> other heavy things on me. How good is that? It's like it was good times. Yeah, go on. So uh, just ask me another question. I'll go no, on. no, I love it. I, I Travel's such a nightmare these days. Like, um, yeah, there's the 9-11 thing, but, um, you know, there's the old, like, fishing equipment thing that we do with the, you know, you got these big sports tubes now, like um, fantastic bit of kit if you're a Spiro. You can get all your gear in there, minus weight, because just taking a w- weights with you just puts you way over the baggage limit. So you yeah, got to, got to source weights wherever you're going. They've, they've invented now, they've got, um, there's a couple of different spear guns on the market now that sort of clip together. And so yeah. they, they call them travel spear guns. And um, and that, and fins have got, I think if there's not fins on the market now, then they're, they're coming where where the where the blades will fold and basically you can get them away in your luggage as well. But, but yeah, like I, I love hearing and seeing all that stuff, but it's a different place. Like I took the fins on, on the airplane with me and I got some looks and, I, and a couple of different people at Jetstar told me, no, you can't do that. And then uh, I'll just say, oh, well, look, you know, the carbon fibre and I can't put them yeah. in the luggage. Like, I just brilliant. And I got away with it. I got away with it on, Good on you. four or five flights. But, um, yeah, this it's travel and spearfishing is definitely its own circus, isn't it? Yeah, true, true. So one thing you mentioned was painting a big Bob Marley in the, the public toilets in Kirikiri, I believe. Um, art seems to be another sort of thing that you are – quite talented at. Um, the logo for Old Man Blue, is that something of your own creation? No, mate, that's the wife. I, I've got a family that my um, wife's a very good artist. My boy, um, he's won a junior art awards a number of times for Australia. So I think it's just run the family. It's what we do. Your logo, if nothing else, I'd encourage people to go along to um, at Old Man Blue on Instagram and have a look. I freaking love it. It's very... Um, it's not logo-like at all when, because it's so intricate and it's like a proper piece of art. I really like it. Mm, thank you, mate. Thank you. It's, we, we did um, him and Har about it. And I just wanted to, I think, with your whole Old Man Blue, is we really want to get back to the basics and whatever we do, that ethics, you know, like really Old Man of the Sea sort of stuff, you know, where you've got good fundamentals. It's not all about just turning over more and more customers, spewing out gear that you know they're going to have to buy again. So it's more like the old Kelvinator fridge that Nan and Pop had and worked 60 years. Um, <laughs> it's, it's We're aiming for maybe not that good, but where you can you have a piece of gear that you feel like I've hammered it, but it was well-made and well-loved. So we're trying to, to, to bring that fundamental into what we do so that in the long run we have all these other ideas of things that we're going to bring out and that people would love our gear because they would know that we have made something and between John and myself, we must have close to 100 years of experience. So it is a lot of knowledge there. And we want to make things that we didn't have and that we wanted. So we want to put out that sort of gear. So I'm not really after the guy that is just starting out. I want the guy that already had the thing that doesn't work. Yeah. Or he had like baggers of sea anchor. 
that you wind up a current, you're thinking, I'm going to drown if I pull this for another 200 metres. That is the person that's going to love our gear because they have used what doesn't work. And now we are giving the same as with a stainless steel stringer. You know, a shark can hang off that. It is not going to come off. And amount of fish I've lost from sharks for the years where they just swim up to my string and snap it off. I think I've got four in my shed hanging that sharks are just sheared straight off because it's either nylon or it's a small stainless steel cord where that is a heavy-duty thing. And I've learned when you, for instance, I'm using a Spanish mackerel, they've got a gnarly teeth. Now, if you feed a spike for a gnarly teeth, how many times do you get cut? Because that teeth is like razors. So we made the thing so you don't have to go in there. Because if you do long dive trips, you get one cut. Somebody like me that's been in the ocean my whole life, I suffer from staph infection. I get one cut. My trip, trip is over. I'm on antibiotics. Yeah. I can't afford to get cut. So we it's, it's so much more thought than people realise we put into us. Yep. It's, we're trying to make sure that we are selling in a spear fisherman something that they would love and they know it's practical and user-friendly. So that's our ethos. Spiro man and woman around the world. Um, I think once you get past that that learning curve, right, because I, I ran a budget the other day, like a conservative sort of budget, I thought, for, for a noob Spiro that just wants to get in the sport, get their foothold. That that first purchase you make on spearfishing gear, if you're pretty young and, you know, you're just starting your work life, you're probably not on great money. And mm-hmm. it's a, like... In Australia, we're looking at about $1,500, really, right. to, to get started. In the US, I'd imagine it's around a $1,000 mark. Mm. It's a lot of money on your first-time investment, mm. and a lot of the time you're trying to save money where you can, and there's mm. certain things that you can't save money on, mm. but there are other places where you can, and there's things you can DIY. Like your catch bag is like the a la carte of catch bags. Mm. It's, it's the best of the best. But if I'm brand new, I'm probably just going to stick with a – old Hessian sack or, um, yep. you know, or, you know, just, you know, you get uh, the, the netting from some vegetable markets and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. And you can, you, that'll do for your lobsters for your first because yep. you, you need to save money where you can. But for the guys that have like, they're ready to upgrade that one component of their gear and get something special that's going to last forever, that's definitely something where I see your gear fitting in for sure. Mm. No, no, good. And we've all been there, and that's how you learn your gear. You have to try all these different things to know your gear. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in buy that cheap spear gun, and then when you miss the ten fish, or you, the thing is so succumb, like you know, you can't turn it, and there goes the mackerel, or there goes the fish, and you go, what happened? I couldn't turn my spear gun. Maybe the thing is not made for the water. Yeah. It's sell that back on Gumtree or wherever. Put it on. There's a new punter that can go through the motions. And at least it doesn't become landfill. Um, you know, go out, let somebody else learn on it. But then once you know what you don't want, that's the next phase, I believe, for spear fishermen. You need to go first that initial learning curve. And don't be bugged down by that. Enjoy it. At least that is part of, you know, I, I find back it's learning all those things, how much years of frustration stuff, but it makes us some of the best stories. It, it's and that's what it's all about, boys and girls. Is just enjoy it. Don't don't be bugged down, you know. Um, but you you sent me some photos, and I've had a quick flick through, and I love the progression and seeing the. I love seeing where people start, you know, and I love. But I also love seeing their good catches. I like seeing a mix, you know. And in your photos, there's some absolutely phenomenal fish. 
You're in WA now. I'm, I'm curious as to what species you you really geek out on targeting at the moment and how you sort of hunt them. Mate, um, I really like WA dewfish because it reminds me of a mussel cracker in South Africa. Um, they're definitely easier to shoot than a mussel cracker, but the eating part of it is it's a top fish. It's an amazing fish. We get them, they, they come and go in our waters. Sometimes you have more, sometimes you have less. And what I love about them is dewfish is all of us has this passion for them. We all want one. And the more you hunt them, the more you realize if a kelp look this way and you see this type of crayfish in this type of hole, this little fish here, there's a dewfish. Just wait. It's there. You know, you, you learn these signs. And if your mate say he's seen a small one, Guaranteed the big one is just around a corner. Don't leave the area. They are clever little buggers. I've seen them sit with their head inside a hole looking at you out and you're swimming past because you didn't look in the shadows. Slow down. Let your eyes get used to the shadows. They're there. It's, and, and I love that. It's, it's, I must prefer finding them like that because it's magical. And I feel sorry for them when I get them, but in the same time, it is, it's enjoyable hunting style. It, it's like yesterday I went out of a couple of mates and um, I saw a monster dewy and I haven't seen one in years that size. And I was, I was, my, my price list that I want to get, if I'm honest, is a 20 plus kilogram dewy. Now, anybody over a year would understand it is pretty hard to do. A lot of people say they got a 20 kilo, but they follow it. Um, I'm yet to get that 20 kilo and I want one. So yesterday I think I saw that 20 kilos. And this is what I'm saying also experience can be against you. So I'm right above it. It's sitting in its hole, not very deep, maybe 70, 80 metres down. And um, I go, oh, you beauty. It's easy. I thought, no, no, don't mess up the fillet. Swim from the side, find another way and shoot in there. And um, I do that. And then I go back to the hole. It's gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's magic. And in the next 45 minutes, I'm looking for it. That is diving. That is diving to the max. That's what I enjoy. I didn't get the fish. And that that hole, that dewy, is now etched in my brain. It's like a painting. I can't get rid of it in my head. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, and, and that's what it's about. It's not about just getting the fish. The fish is only part. I, and to be honest, if I got the fish, I probably would feel terrible. Oh, uh, because it wasn't enough of a challenge for you. No, not that. Because once it's gone, it's gone. You know, you know then yeah. you've ticked that box. And, and that's very much like art, isn't it? You know, And that is the hunting dilemma. That's the yeah. thing that we all live with is that tension of taking something yeah. that's not easily going to be replaced. And, and once you reach the goal, then you have to set another goal. Yeah. I reach, my goal is 20 kilos and I'm yet to, but it's good to have a goal. Yeah. And that's what I love about diving is, is setting those challenges for you. And sometimes getting them is, is, is not so good. Mm, yeah, yeah. So is spearfish, has spearfishing been, or is it still a, a very much a journey of self mastery for you? I love it, mate. It's, I find that I'm, I'm, I've never not learned. Every day I'm in the ocean, I learn something new. I, and, and I think if somebody tells you they know it all, they just follow it. But I, I find that, yes, I'm learning every day and I'm enjoying it more and more. Now, like I said, it's, time is against me. I'm getting older and I want to keep up because the guys that I spearfish with is pretty good. And, um, don't tell them. Who is that. it? No, I just saying the guys that spearfish were pretty good. Don't tell them that. They might go to their heads. So. Um, <laughs> and um, the point of this is I want to keep up with these blokes. I want to I want to still go out to them as long as I can. And what people don't, don't rush boys and girls. Thomas, use it. Don't worry about all these. Just enjoy every moment. 
You know, it doesn't matter what you get today. Just enjoy the dive, being with your mates, and life goes quick. When you get, when you feel that tension, Bert, that that tension to to rush, to 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 speed up. What do you do in your own mind to help you just slow down? Um, is there some self talk? Is there a is there a switch that goes off that just it, it, it's slow down? I don't know. It, it, it's it, it, guys ask me a lot of questions like that. I don't know. How, I don't know how to shoot a fish. I don't know how to aim a spear gun. It just happens. I'm the worst teacher, mate. I don't like yesterday. Shane was saying I'm taking some novices out today and I'm taking them to a spot that I thought is easy to shoot fish. And he goes, "You're full of it, bird." He goes, first time you took me, you scared the living life out of me." And I think it's a novice spot. So <laughs> it's, it's it's I'm not I'm not the right person, mate, for the job. I can't be that instructor. I'm I'm the guy that you come to once you have knowledge and you you have fun. It's because I just want to share my passion. I don't. It's it's I'm not a teacher. Sorry, I I, I, no, I, no. I don't I don't have that. You know, I've listened to one or two podcasts, and the guys can articulate how to do things. I don't. I slow down. It's that the ocean will let you that mammalian effect. Go with it. Don't fight it. Everything. Ocean, you've got all those gifts already in your body. Just slow down. Like, um, I don't, you know, that, <laughs> that, those things. I don't get those things. It's that, like those things. Contractions or? Yeah, I don't get contraction things. I don't get them because, to me, that's your warning bell in your body. That's your alarm. If you have that, come up. You know, I don't let my body get that far. Because as soon as I feel uncomfortable, I go. Because I realise so many times, like, Thinking a little while back, I got caught in a wreck in a real big tidal current, and it just came and it just got and it helped me down for about a minute thirty. Wow! Um, and I was already down for about a minute plus already. So I went into this cave. I mean, cave the wreck when I shouldn't, but I followed in a fish, and I thought, "Oh, you beauty! Look at this!" And I swam around the wreck, and the next moment, this thing just came through, and it was obviously a big old swell come through. And it just pushed, and I was just stuck in a wreck, and I just held onto the steel and just waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And my point of this is, if I did that, <clears throat> I'm dead. Don't go there. Like, you know, it's it's learn your body. I mean, you can't learn it without diving a lot, but it's the, those two alarm cells. The, your, your human body is a machine. It's the best machine. Listen to it. Learn your body. Learn your fatigue. If you don't feel well, if you're sicky or whatever, take it easy. Don't push. You've got a computer built in. Use it to your advantage, and and that's what I'm trying to. I can't articulate myself better, but it's a feeling. It's a it's it's get in touch with yourself. Like really get in touch. Feel the way you flow in the water. Relax. Just just enjoy it, and then magic happens. You you talking about getting stuck inside the wreck gave me that vicarious sense of panic that you can get in spearfishing. Don't. I was recently. You you're, gonna, you're you're dead if you panic. Yeah, well, yeah, and I was recently chatting with some guys down south, and they're talking about diving in holes for craze and climbing right in there and yeah. you know, getting wedged. And um, mm. there are some moments like that in, in spearfishing, particularly when you start to push it, and you, you know, like, and and that that's kind of another big part of the. I don't know. It's not the appeal, but it's just you get into that hunting mindset, and we get we get in these positions. Yeah. Um, it's very hard not to panic sometimes, but I think that's another part of the journey of the self-mastery stuff. Yeah. Just don't, I mean, my advice to anybody, when you panic, immediately when you panic, stop. Stop dead. Stop. Give yourself two seconds. Count. 1,000, 1,002 or something, whatever you want to do. Give that two seconds. Do it. 
Just stop, whatever. Don't do a thing. Don't try and help yourself. Just stop. And you find in that two seconds, your brain will kick in. We have that survival thing built in. It's prehistoric. We all have it. You just have to find it. It's um and 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 I, I can say in, in the years that I've dived, and other divers will say, you we all make mistakes where we pushed it too far. And if you if you do the wrong thing, you're dead. It's not it's not like you're not coming back. So you don't have the luxury of panic. Panic is not something you can do. It's 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 it can be fatal. So learn how to slow yourself down, two seconds, reevaluate, and then go for it again. And you'll be right. Handmade spear guns from the USA, killshotspearguns.com, have made rugged, functional, simple spear guns utilizing the best components. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. Save $30 on any timber spear gun. Use the code NOOB. Visit killshotspearguns.com. We'll segue out of there real delicately. What about um, funny stuff, Bert? Like, um, with your current dive crew at the moment, are they funny buggers? Are they relaxed? Are they what sort of dudes are they? Mate, they're all great blokes. I dive with a wonderful set of guys, all very skilled. And there's some funny moments. I think probably if a little funny story, I just one popped into my mind. It's a mate of mine, Xavier. We went up to one of the islands off um, Carnarvon, and we were on the back of the island. And, you know, like a cute little girl, he's got a little girl you know, helping dad, and she took a little, like, you know, a sticky tape that the girl's got with a little butterflies or whatever they got on it, and she sticky taped his flopper for him so it doesn't flop around. <laughs> and he jumps overboard, and this beautiful big wahoo shows up, and he just pings it, like, whoop, nice, solid shot, give him a broadside shot. And then, like, you know, it stands still for, like, a second, and then suddenly it takes off like a bullet, and the spear just pulls right out. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny. Or oh, or another one is like Mika, a mate of mine. We on a boat, similar area, traveling full speed. And those days they had a crazy engine on the back of my vessel, it's like a weapon. And um, we're traveling through, and the steering conks out, and it suddenly goes into a full turn. And I still remember him standing next to me, and the next moment disappearing, and he just goes <laughs> overboard. And um, you see him sitting position, perfect sitting position at that speed. He just goes sit in the ocean, like <laughs> a few meters behind. And I, I hit the throttle down, stop the boat, you know, like, but we have no steering now. And um, he's in his wet weather gear and he's sinking because it's not such a good place to be, open ocean. Yeah. And um, running around the deck and I'm like, boys, rope, meaning the rope that you tie yourself to the dock. Yeah. And I said, throw him the rope. So somebody on the deck panic just froze the rope, but froze the whole rope. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, what I'm saying is then we used the shooting line and we, we pulled him back on board. Now, it was a frightening experience for him. It was a frightening experience for me, and it's an accident. And these things will happen. Hell, it makes for good stories later. Yeah. So, uh, Mick, if you're listening, you made me smile that day, mate. Yeah. <laughs> What do you did you have a workaround? Like I'm I'm taking it your steering's hydraulic. Yep. Um like that, that that's that's an easy fix. Like a, but see this something you need to know. Mm. If you have a hydraulic steering, um what happened is in the back of your steering is a call it a bar that a round bar that goes into a hydraulic chamber. Now hydraulic chamber is only a hydraulic chamber, but there's one a male and a female fitting that fits into each other. That needs to be Loctite. Now, if you don't use the right Loctite, and you buy the wrong Loctite, it will undo. It systematically will just turn out. That's not a big problem. Just undo the bolt to one side, turn it back in, and Bob's your uncle. You're off again. 
That's what I'm saying. You need to know your boat. These are not big problems. They're quick problems to solve if you understand how things work. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't understand how that works. So it's interesting. I've never taken one apart. So it's yeah. So that's that's cool insight. I guess you learn these things slowly too. You acquire these skills as and when they happen. And there's a little bit of ingenuity that you require in the moment, I'd imagine too. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But it makes for funny stories. That's what I'm trying to say. These horrible experiences are actually funny in retrospect. It's yeah. just many of them. I, it's it's another one that. Um, a funny story, a scary story, actually. We're in Fiji. I go with a mate of mine, Eric, if he's listening. I don't know. Um, but anyway, point of this is we rock up, and it's a place called Summer Summer Straits, and it's, it's quite a big channel of water, making up kilometres something deep right against the shore, brilliant diving. And that's why we picked it because you can maybe get a big fish without having to spend that top dollar for a charter if you're a bit of a cheapskate, which we were. And... Um, so we get a kayak that's been promised to us, and we rock up. And this two-man kayak, mate, I wouldn't even take on a river. It's a single-man kayak. <laughs> but, hey, it's, it's, we, we're here to spearfish. We, we pay good money to get you in, and we need to spearfish. So we tie all the stuff to this kayak. And somehow, miraculously, because we know each other pretty well, we balance on this kayak, and we go in this stoma, stoma straight. And because we just landed, it's nighttime. It's pretty much getting dark. But, hey, we just get one fish quick. Yeah. And the next moment, we've lost all our gear pretty much. I'm on underneath with one fin, because that's the only fin we got left, <laughs> holding on the back of a kayak, trying to swim up a current, trying to get us home at night. <laughs> this is not a nice feeling. It's but it's a funny story. Yeah. It's that's what I'm saying, is we all have them, many of them, you know. It's and it's, it makes for it's, it makes for campfire stories. I think it's great. Yeah, cool. There's so many lessons learned too from the the near misses and the things that happen like so, I mean, there's a lifetime of wisdom in some of the old stories and uh, you've got plenty of them, Bert. Yeah, too many, mate, too many. I wanted to wrap up with Spiro Q&A, which is a faster-paced round of questions. Are you ready? Go for it, mate. What is the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? Relax. Just relax. Who has been the most influential person or people in your spearfishing? Mate, it's a very, very hard one to answer because I've been doing it so long there is no individual person that started with that fellow Strevis that planted the seeds of my diving. Diving with maybe not taught me like people like Garth, which had the same passion, Toby, the, the young guys, and then later in life, diving with the crew I'm diving now with. Um, it's, it's So, yes, many people, and some of these people don't even know that they taught me. Some of these people know much less than me, but learning from how passionate they are and giving me their passion, what they share with me, that is that is the learning curve for me to go back and really enjoy it because you can look from new eyes. So I would say no one person, but to be honest, all of us has learned from other people. And if you haven't learned from somebody else, you're an idiot. That's good. Um, I'll give you a scenario. You're going spearfishing this afternoon. It's incredibly short notice. You're allowed to pick one person to go short dive spearfishing with for a few hours and only one person, and they will come. But who would you choose and why? Mate, today, actually, I'll be honest with you, I, I picked a mate called Steve Brown. And Steve is, is my counterpart in diving. We dive a lot together. He's originally from Coffs Harbor, also a shore diver. So we've got that long history. And I dive with him because he's relaxed. The guy is so cruisy. And I love diving with him. So, But he's not the only guy I dive with. So I have many people with different traits. But Steve was an unfortunately... He's got a job, mate. He has to work. So 
It sucks. <laughs> All right, last question. I've had a ball, but I hope you have too. Could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? It's a way of life, mate. This is what makes us who we are. It makes us better people for our loved ones, for our partner, for our kids. Keep us level-headed. So it, 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 it makes you who you are. Love it. That's powerful. Um, but people can come and find you at Old Man Blue on Instagram. You're on Facebook. Actually, Old Man Blue Dive, mate. I couldn't get the Old Man Blue because I think it's a guitarist or something, but I would love to have got that one. It's actually Old Man Blue Dive. Sorry, Isaac. I was really no, no, that's dive. perfect. I'm glad you interrupted me. I, Old Man Blue Dive on Instagram, Facebook. Um, I wish you'd pulled me up earlier when I mentioned it. But, um, uh, yeah, check it out. Like some just – Magic equipment, uh, really cool pictures. You love the lifestyle. There's a bunch of cool people using your gear already, Bert, and I wish you everything you, in the future. Um, did you have any advice or uh, wisdom that you wanted to share with the broader spearfishing community in general to wrap us out? I think it, I would say because there's more and more divers in the water, there's going to be more and more accidents, and also there's going to be more and more pressure on our resources. So my point is, and you've covered that in that um, Doc of Death very, very, very well. That was an amazing podcast, by the way. Um, I think when you go out, remember whatever you're doing today will reflect on all of us. So remember you're not alone. Your actions will reflect on. So go gentle, be nice, like when you get a bit of extra fish, you know, share it. Invite somebody to a barbecue when they're at the campsite. Let them understand that spearers are a different breed of men and women. We are different. And and show them that part, the, the good part. And then we would be – people love us for that. And they love the fact that we do something different. But scares them, but it also they, they love you for it. So just, just don't become an idiot or a cowboy because nobody likes idiots and cowboys. No one. Just And, and not even your parents do. So – just, you know, just, you know, be smart about it, guys and girls. Yeah. We've finished the interview, um, but Bert has reminded me that there's some real important shit that I forgot to cover off and ask him about. So, Bert, can you please share, again, your experience with the, with the shark? Mate, what I was trying to say is I see and hear a lot about guys, you know, they burly up or they're just diving and there's oodles of sharks around them. And I get the sense that a lot of these people think they're in control. They understand the situation, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they, they're quite arrogant in a point where you're dealing with a wild animal and its behaviour could be different on any one day. And I, I had an incident and it really shaped my whole diving career. We were diving. I was only a young fellow. I was diving off a place called Cave Point in an area called False Space. So if you want to have a look at it, look up. Cape Point Lighthouse, and then look right off it. We used to jump off the cliffs and then a current used to take us up to the point and we used to get out there. Anyway, and one of these days, I think we might have swum offshore that day, just irrelevant, and we were looking for fish. And the next moment, from nowhere, I was just laying, relaxing, just enjoying it. I just got fully out of the water. And I remember looking down and my spear gun tip was nowhere. My feet was up in the sky. My spear gun tip was nowhere close to the water. And all I saw was this big white mass below me. And it was a great white that has um, chucked me out of the water and I, like as if I weighed nothing. And I remember that's time to stop for a little bit and I had to go back down. And I felt sick and I had to 
drop back into it. And what made it worse is when I dropped back, I didn't know where the shark was. And the point of this is we held hands, we were falling in water, we held hands and made it our, our, I suppose, our surface area greater. And we all swam back to the shore. Now, two of the fellas never went back in the water, as far as I believe. And Garth, he actually still dies today. Now, it must have been worse for him. If, if you've seen it, I think it must have been worse. I don't know because I didn't see it coming. My point to this is that single event, for the next three or four years, I couldn't relax. I couldn't. It Mentally, it, it handicapped me. I couldn't find my rhythm. It's, I can imagine a novice diver will feel like that. You're always thinking, dee 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 noises and stuff. And what I'm trying to get at is there's that one singular shark out there. Don't ever forget that. These sharks are different. They're not the ones you pat on the nose. It's, it's, it's not that shark. And I had another experience in Fiji. I'm not going to bore you about that with um, five mako sharks where one of them were a rogue one. And that wasn't a nice experience either. My point to what I'm trying to get is don't think that you got it under control. You don't. I have mates that I've lost to great watch quite a number, and the last one was a friend's daughter, and it shook me up. I actually cried, I, 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 and I felt, why am I here? But these other people are gone. What made me different? And it's no skill of my own. It is from the heart. Don't think you've got it under control. It's, it is real, boys and girls. These, these things don't become blasé. The ocean will catch you out. Don't become arrogant. This is real. Anyway, I'm going off the point again, mate. Sorry, I'm getting a bit emotional. That's no, all good. I, I I read some stats recently about sharks and that, you know, like we talk a little bit about all the techniques and body language we can adopt to discourage sharks and sometimes it is it, it probably does sound arrogant. I, I was going to say like the stats that I read, like seven out of ten shark attacks that are fatal or, or even, sorry, reported shark attacks, fatal and non-fatal, are ambush attacks. And the person that was attacked had no knowledge, no prior knowledge that, that the shark yes, was. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And even with experience, you have no chance. You have no chance. I had an incident. I was diving off a place called Undu Point. I was looking for rosy jobfish, and this big giant mako came up, and I was down maybe 26 metres, and I froze because I knew I couldn't go to the surface. And it rolled up and it never, ever moved. This thing just glided and came past me. It was like a submarine. It's one of the biggest things I've ever seen underwater. And it disappeared into that abyss again. And until you've been that close to something really scary, then you realise there is no skills. It is just your day or not your day. And remember that. Like, relax, enjoy, but don't be arrogant. It will. The ocean doesn't like that. You know, honor it. Be 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 aware. It's it's hard to explain. I can't explain it. It's and like I said, I'm lucky here to be here today. It, and I, sometimes, like when my mate lost his daughter, it shook me up and it still shakes me up every time I think about why did this young girl go? And I'm here. I still can't understand it. It's life. Anyway, I get emotional again. That's all good, man. I, I love the emotion. Um, I think it's it's important and what keeps us grounded and it's just honest. Like um. There's a reality to these events that um, are uncontrollable and um, when we do talk probably like we're some sort of authority on shark body language and shark behaviour, um, to a person that's lost their life or someone that they loved, it can come across, I'd imagine, as 100% arrogance. And, um, yeah, from what I've been reading, it's very much in line with what you're saying. Like 
Um, I haven't experienced, you know, an uncontrolled or an, uh, shark attack, but I've I've seen plenty of sharks too. But yeah, the 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 fatal ones, the, the the big attacks that leave people maimed or injured or worse, they they're something else, and um, very few people have experienced it. So I'm grateful that you shared your experience with us. Thanks, mate. Thanks for sharing. Like I just wanted to put it across. You know, it's 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 something that I think in the back of your mind, just relax. You know, it's it's it's, it's it might never be happened to you, but don't be arrogant. The ocean doesn't allow that. Love it. Awesome. Bert Calder, everyone. I, uh, what an absolute fantastic chat. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, mate. It was an honour. It really was. I appreciate this. I really do. Thanks, mate. And guys, enjoy all the diving. Happy hunting for all of you. Bert Calder, guys, the old man blue. What a really cool chat and what a really cool dude. Um, just FYI, Bert's invited me out on a trip in August this year. And thanks to patient listeners like you. Uh, I am going to head over to WA and go diving with Bert and do a whole bunch of hopefully of live interviews over there. And uh, if you want to become a Patreon listener, I'd love it if you did. Go to patreon.com forward slash noobspero and join 41 other legends here um, supporting the show. I really appreciate it. So that's uh, patreon.com forward slash noobspero. Again, a quick shout out to Ben at Aqualite who recommended Bert. Much appreciated. Um, for any of Bert's gear, check out oldmanblue.com.au. Uh, and he's also agreed to become a, po- a partner of the Noob Spirit podcast as well. So that's pretty cool as well. So um, hope you enjoyed today's interview. Next week, we're off to chat with Harry Foster, former MasterChef star, um, absolute mad, froth and keen Spiro. He's got a really cool um, Instagram where you can always sort of learn stuff about the ocean because he's endlessly fascinating and fascinated by the ocean like a lot of us that enjoy this incredible lifestyle, which is spearfishing. Hey, thanks for listening today. I'm out. Today's Veterans Vault is proudly brought to you in partnership with Adreno. Adreno.com.au has a huge range of equipment, from the latest in spear gun technology to the odds and ends that you need, like bungees, booties, and budgie smugglers. Go online to Adreno.com.au to read good, honest reviews and to take advantage of Australia-wide flat-rate shipping and a no-hassles returns policy. Don't forget to take advantage of the Noob Spirit discount code and save $20 on every purchase over $200. Adreno.com.au Recently, I brought some new equipment online at today's show sponsor, Neptonics.com, and I was super impressed by the quality of the packaging and the before and after sales support. These guys don't muck around. They make awesome, tough, dependable equipment, and their service matches the quality of the equipment they sell. Visit Neptonics.com, use the code NOOB10 to save 10% on anything and everything store-wide. If you're shopping in the USA and you spend more than $99, you get free shipping at Neptonics.com.